Welcome to Emerging Europe Talks, bringing you expert insight on innovation and technology, sustainable social and economic growth, business, politics and culture, and helping you navigate the Emerging Europe region. Hosted by Andrew Robel. Remember to visit the show's page, emerging-europe.com forward slash multimedia, or check the hashtag EETalks on social media. Today, Emerging Europe Talks Prosperity, and we're looking at innovation in Central Asia. My name is Andrew Robel, and I am joined by Bruno Balvanera, non-executive independent director of the supervisory board of Asaka Bank in Uzbekistan, and the former managing director for Central Asia at the European Bank for Reconstruction and Development. And finally, an advisory board member at Tech Emerging Europe, Advocates. Bruno, welcome to Emerging Europe Talks. Thank you, Andrew. Good morning. I'm excited to be with you and with your audience and to talk about Central Asia. Quite an exciting region. Perfect. So, Bruno, you've been looking at the social and economic developments across Central Asia for quite some time now. Where is the region headed and which countries are leading? We are obviously talking about Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Turkmenistan, Tajikistan and Uzbekistan. Thank you, Andrew. Listen, these are five countries in the same region, but very, very different five countries, both in terms of their background, their reality today and their future. And what I would say is that there are two, three key elements for the whole of the region that are for all of them or for most of them. One of them is that this is a region a little bit isolated of the world. There's no sea connection. They are far away. Some of them are two borders, three borders away from connection to the sea. The second is that this is a region that is relatively rich in natural resources with all the problems and all the challenges that a rich in natural resources country may have, particularly when it is a little bit isolated. The third, uh, I would say, uh, common point is the background. They are all part of the former Soviet Union, and obviously they have a challenging relationship with Russia, but also very much and very interesting, and even, I would say, more and more with China. Clearly, China is the big player, is the game changer into the region. It has border with some of the countries, but it's a country, it's a very large country, that is very much interested in developing the Silk Road, uh, I would say, a belt that is going through these countries. In terms of political and social, what I would say is that clearly Kazakhstan is a country that has been leading the reforms already for 20, 30 years under the leadership of President Nazarbayev. And clearly they have achieved a lot in terms of being a little bit more Western and a little bit more in close contact with the Western partners. By the way, the European Union is the largest trade partner of Kazakhstan. This is uh, really amazing. But at the same time, if you leave aside Almaty and Nur Sultan, the rest of the country remains pretty much underdeveloped. So this is uh, one. The second big star in the region that I would mention is Uzbekistan, under the leadership of President Mirzi Yoyev over the last four years, that has significantly changed the course of its uh, history 
from a very close and very, I would say, yes, strict country to a very open. And I would say in my 35 years of developing world, both in Eastern Europe, Latin America, Central Asia, I have never seen a reform so strong, so deep, so well-planned, and so ambitious as I can see in Uzbekistan. And this is, to be honest, very refreshing. Then you have two little countries or smaller countries, I would say, but also quite important, Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan, that have very different uh, political background. One is extremely democratic, the other one is extremely non-democratic. One is part of the Eurasian Economic Union with all the challenges and also the opportunities it gives particularly to the Kyrgyz and nationals in Russia that then they can have a bit more stable work. And the other one is a little bit more isolated, I would say, Tajikistan. And finally, Turkmenistan, that is, of course, a big question mark, is probably the most isolated Pacific country in the world. It's very difficult to get there. It's similar, I would say, to the access of every, like, North Korea, but it's a very pacific country. People are very nice. Everything is um, working more or less okay, but it's extremely isolated. So I would say very diverse, very important. We're talking about 60, 70 million people with, I would say, a pretty low GDP per capita, particularly if you take aside the natural resources. The challenges ahead are big. This is about education of people. This is about digitalization. And this is about doing some sort of frog leap to embrace the future. So it's very interesting that you mentioned uh, digitalization because innovation and digitalization are the topics that we would like to focus on today. How do you see these countries going in that direction? Again, I think it is an uneven uh, race. All the countries probably a bit more with the exception of Turkmenistan because of its political background understand that the future relies pretty much on the digitalization of the country. These require massive investments in terms of broadband through the country. Let's not forget that while there are a number of big cities, the large majority of the population lives outside the big cities, which is very different than the West. Western countries, and therefore the investment into broadband is, is really a big challenge. The other big challenge is access to education and access to English, even though, you know, Russian is the common, is the, the common language for all the countries. But I would say that not everybody in the countries speak Russian. They speak their own language, which, of course, is uh, to be respected. But at the same time, if they want to embrace the future, they need to be speaking a common language with the main developers of uh, uh, software and, and hardware in the world. So what I would say is you have areas as advanced as, for example, the Astana International Financial Center that tries to be a new stock market for the region. It's trying to attract new listings on the back of a very modern and very bullish vision of the world to try to really leapfrog to, towards the future and is taking a lot of the model of Singapore and Temasek. And of course, uh, Almaty and the big cities, they have penetration, but it's not only about penetration, it is also about speed of internet. And Uzbekistan, with uh, 34, 35 million people and a country as big as it is, 
is facing the challenge not only of coverage, but particularly also of speed and depth of the broadband. I uh, certainly think that each of the countries, but probably with more emphasis, the two stars of the region, Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan, understand that perfectly. And there is a clear roadmap to further improve because this is really the cornerstone about how they are going to be developing the future. In terms of education and uh, the capabilities of, of the local, uh, I would say, population, I would say you would find very smart people in all the countries. Uh, clearly, Kyrgyzstan, I, w- I have been there, and you have a lot of applications and apps. The same in, in Kazakhstan, very modern banking system that is relying very much into the, the use of the iPhone And what I would also say where there is probably a big opportunity is to try to develop what has been a success in Africa, which is electronic wallets. And this has been successful in Africa because you have very dispersed population with very low income. And this is a common point that they have with Central Asia. So I can see a big potential into digital banking, particularly when it comes to flow of payments. And also, let's not forget that remittances remain a big part of the economy of, of uh, these, these countries. In the case of, uh, uh, of Uzbekistan, obviously, the two big uh, countries where people are, are going are Russia in the first place and also China. But also in the case of, um, of the smaller countries like Uzbekistan, it is South Korea. And Kazakhstan is also an area of opportunity because Kazakhstan is ahead of Kyrgyz, Tajik, and Uzbekistan, and you have migrants going also to Kazakhstan. So let's not forget also the interdependence between the countries. And uh, you mentioned some applications. Uh, How do you see entrepreneurship developing in those countries? And which, obviously, it seems like Kazakhstan is leading, but where are the others? Well, you know, in all the countries, you have... These uh, smart gags, I would say that you, that some of them have even been in, in areas like Silicon Valley. They have been trained and they are bringing home their capabilities. But I would say that the countries still need incubators, incubators supported by the governments. We can see a bit more of that in Kazakhstan. I'm pretty sure we will see more of that in Uzbekistan. And I hope we will also see more and more in Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan. But let's not forget that these are expensive. These are high risk because there is a a high level of uh, mortality, I would say, of these little entrepreneurships. But until there is not a serious support to this small entrepreneur that has ideas about his app, there's going to be, I would say, a little bit... uh, far behind institutional development of this capability and this possibility. I would mention, for example, the the case of Belarus, where the incubator has been extremely successful. People in Belarus are very highly educated, but let's not forget that also the countries in Central Asia, they have received the same education as Belarus, which is the Soviet education. But the difference has been that Belarus, many years ago, bet into digitalization, and now they are seeing some of these results. I would say also, to a certain extent, Kazakhstan. And uh, do you see the government understanding that technology is the future, or is it not really so? I clearly see it in Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan. I probably see it less 
in Kyrgyzstan and probably even less in Tajikistan and, and obviously Turkmenistan at the end of the queue because of a number of reasons. One, because the countries have different priorities. And you could argue that when you are fighting for food, for health, digitalization can be seen a little bit like a luxury, can be a priority that can wait until other problems are sorted. And they have very limited access, I would say, to funds and to grants. Everything is drop by drop and also not a very efficient use of resources because of the administration, bureaucracy, and, and other sick behavior that you can find in some of, of the countries. And let's not forget that for the last 12, 14, soon 18 months, all the world and the region has suffered of coronavirus. And we know little about the statistics of the region, about how it has been affected by coronavirus. If you benchmark with the rest of the world, they seem to have much lower rates of, of infection and of death. But the reality, when you talk to people, you know so many people that have been infected and you can see so many deaths that is very difficult to really rely only on the official statistics. And some of the countries in particular, again, I would mention Uzbekistan that relies so much into tourism has been so much affected by coronavirus because it has stopped all the visitors coming from the West and from Russia and so on and so forth because it's a beautiful country. But uh, let's not forget that the number of SMEs and the number of people that were dedicated to hospitality are now suffering big problems. And therefore, digitalization may be perceived not as a key priority in the immediate future, which is wrong. You also mentioned at the beginning that all these countries are rich in natural resources. And uh, does that also seem to be an easy way to sort of make, make money as opposed to relying on technology? I've seen that in Azerbaijan, for example. Azerbaijan has been talking about relying more on innovation, but because it is so rich in, in natural resources, it's kind of moved a little bit away. Is that so in Central Asia as well? Somehow, Azerbaijan and the region are different. I'm trying to understand now, as we speak, why I perceive them differently. Maybe one of the reasons is that the control over the natural resources in Azerbaijan is much stricter. There is much more of a hand of sofas and of the public companies and, let's say, the state or the ruling government than what you see in the other countries. Kazakhstan has a number of international partners and requires more level of transparency with their long-term agreement that they have. And therefore, probably they are a bit more open also to invest into technology. Uzbekistan, their natural resources is not oil and gas that are probably a bit more difficult to manage. But it's also a lot of gold and silver where you have a number of private participants and this can make a, a big difference. Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan are much less rich in terms of natural resources. Kyrgyzstan, they have this gold mine partnership with a Canadian company, but it's a bit more isolated. And finally, yes, a big player in, in natural resources is Turkmenistan. But I would say the model is very similar to Azerbaijan in the sense that the state controls it all, is mainly gas, and is mainly gas that is sold to the Chinese, 
at prices where there is really very little transparency. So there is a little bit of a different dynamic in, in all the countries, also because I have been responsible of Azerbaijan. I would dare to say that they have invested a lot, let's say, into state e-services. Yeah, they have these uh, state um, public houses where people can go that have been very helpful. But I would say that you see probably a bit less private sector participation into this development of this area than what you would see in Central Asia. And again, this is probably because of the dominance of the state with regards to the natural resources, I would say, in, in, in Azerbaijan and Turkmenistan, versus a little bit more open, bit more international partnership that you see in the other countries. So tell us, why do you think international investors, specifically in this sort of startup entrepreneurship area or venture capital investors, should be looking at this part of, of the world, at Central Asia? I would start by talking about the size of the population. You have uh, relatively large countries, particularly if you compare to the size of the market in the Caucasus, where between the three countries, uh, Georgia, Armenia, Azerbaijan, you don't get to 20 million people. Where in Central Asia, you are talking three or four times this size of population. Second, you could argue that the perspective of increasing the income per capita are higher because of the reforms that seem to be taking a little bit more speed than in the region. And obviously, this is going to create a market. And you can see already some investors that are looking to benefit for, for this increase, like Carrefour in Uzbekistan, that clearly is one of the first uh, big retailers international that are coming to the country. And they are building back into their successful experience they had in Georgia and in some other geographies. This is Al Futeng. This is not Carrefour from France, but this is the Carrefour from uh, the United Arab Emirates that are very close and obviously they have very strong and close, closer relationship with Central Asia. So clearly one big area is consumer. It is fast moving consumable goods. I would also say that there is a developing banking sector. As you mentioned, I'm privileged to be in the supervisory board of Asaka Bank, which is one of the largest banks in Uzbekistan, where under a very clear and strong leadership of President Mirzi Yoyev, we have the task to get ready for the privatization of the bank, because we see that, or what his vision is to move from a country where 85 or 87% of the banking assets were or are still controlled by the state, to move to as little as 25 to 30% over a period of 5 to 10 years. So this is a very ambitious. This will give opportunity to investors either to start with a greenfields like TBC Bank from Georgia that has obtained the license to start a totally new platform in Uzbekistan, which, by the way, is going to be pretty much focused only into digital banking. They are not going to have branches or very few branches, and they are going to build into the success of the platform that they have developed in Georgia, and they are moving straight to the to the consumer. So, or, and not only, as I said, new banks, but also as we are able to clean up not only the balance sheet of Asaka Bank, but also of three or four other ones that are in a similar situation and are under a similar process, 
this can be a very interesting opportunity for investors that can uh, penetrate a country with already branch, a network, a name, an image, and develop a service that is very much needed into, into the region. Trade, certainly, not only with Russia, China, probably Europe, Caucasus, but also between the countries. The, let's not forget the dynamic in between the countries that has completely changed when Uzbekistan opened the borders. Because until then, as Uzbekistan was the bottleneck between the East and the West, there was very little communication between the countries. But under the new regime, there is total openness in, into this area. And obviously, you know, the stage of development of the industry is very different from country to country. Uzbekistan, which I see like the pearl of the region, is not only rich in natural resources, it's also rich in agriculture because it has big land and it has water and good weather, but also it has a legacy of industrial capacity which you can only see in the former Soviet region, of course, in Russia, very strongly, of course, in Ukraine, but I would say in third place in Uzbekistan. So Uzbekistan is the third largest country and is the third most attractive opportunity because of a number of of, uh, reasons in the former Soviet area, including in industrial, as I was saying, you have car manufacturing, you have automotive, and you have some of the processing also of the gold and the silver. The other countries, they only extract and they send to other countries for refining, but Uzbekistan is doing the refining. So I think there are many opportunities. Tourism, I've already mentioned, particularly in some countries that have very long history and very deep traditions and are beautiful, and you can immediately have a sense of that with the taste of the food, with the taste of the culture, with the music, with the dances, with the outfits that are certainly something that I recommend to all my friends to go and to visit. And they all go and they come back very, very happy. So many opportunities. At the same time, many challenges because it's a region a little bit far away and not of an easy access. I think the Central Asian region is extremely interesting and uh, there's we we could be talking about the region for quite some time thank you very much bruno for for these insights it was a pleasure to get some of the experiences that you've had in these countries uh, you know and hear them here thank you very much thank you andrew always a pleasure to talk to you and look forward to our continuation of our excellent relationship thank you Thank you all for listening, and we look forward to your company for the next episode of Emerging Europe Talks. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and do leave a review. This will help us ensure a regular stream of great guests you want to hear from. And finally, check out our news and analysis platform at emerging-europe.com. Emerging Europe Talks.